Hey coach, it's Matt here from the VIP Nutrition Coach Show. Today's episode is all about how Working Against Gravity scaled their one-on-one nutrition coaching business to over 21,000 members served. I see so many coaches watering down their service with one-off meal plans, one-off training plans, courses, eBooks, because they feel those business models are more scalable. And I've been there too. But what ends up happening when you create those products is you end up watering down your core service, coaching, and your brand. Working Against Gravity has one of the best reputations of any large nutrition coaching business because they focus so much on the one-on-one client experience. And in this episode, WAG owners Michael and Adi share some gold nuggets about how they created a scalable one-to-one coaching business model and what marketing strategies have worked best to attract that level of clients. Plus, they teach you how influencer relationships help them grow the brand to preeminence in the CrossFit world. As per usual, this episode is a snippet from one of the weekly live trainings we do in the Online Nutrition Coach Community Facebook group. If you'd love to hear the full episode, get access to weekly live trainings and resources to help you scale your online coaching business, you can head directly to the Online Nutrition Coach Community Facebook group or go to beyondmacros.com slash community to get access plus a free bonus training to help you scale your nutrition coaching business without working a minute past 30 hours per week. All right, now that's enough from me. Time for the episode. Stoked to have my friends Michael and Adi Kazu. On the show today, Adi is on mom duty right now. She's been trying to put baby Shay down to sleep for 40 minutes. And just to give you some context, Michael and Adi, they own a company called Working Against Gravity. They have served over 21,000 one-to-one nutrition clients over the last, what's it been, five, six years, Michael? This six years, man. Six yep, years. Six years. And yeah, now they've got an amazing coaching certification as well macro-based. I've gone through the program. It's awesome. Um, you know, These guys have always admired them because they've created a business based around providing remarkable experiences to their clients and they've managed to scale it. So today I'm going to be diving in, asking them some questions about what that path looked like to go from this business was literally just a D and a blog. And now it's a huge company that employs so many coaches and it's a really cool story. And I think you're going to be able to extract a lot of value and also expand your own vision to see what is possible as a nutrition coach. So to take you from thinking that you might just want some extra pocket change to realizing, hey, if you want to build an empire, it's absolutely possible. And these two have, and I'm really excited to dive in and, and share some of their wisdom. So Michael, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get a Dion soon as well, but uh, we will. Not, yeah. <laughs> She'll be here it's soon. And yeah, man. Thank, yeah. And thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm super honored. And I just want to say, um, it's so cool to connect with you personally more. Um, I love not only what you're doing, but how you do it and like the integrity that you have with people. Every conversation I've ever had with you, it's so clear that you're trying to serve people's best interests. So super mm-hmm. happy to be speaking to your community. Awesome, brother. Thanks. Man. Appreciate that. So Dude, even though you guys are huge, <laughs> you know, 21,000 clients served, I imagine that there's still some people in the online nutrition coach community who may not be familiar with working against gravity. Um, and I know Adi is not here to talk about the origin story, but 
just to give them some context, what's working gravity, working against gravity about? Where did it start from and where is it at today? Yeah. Yeah, I know the story very, very well. Yeah, I imagine so you do. My my amazing wife was finishing up a master's in teaching. She intended to become a kindergarten teacher. And instead of doing a master's thesis, she asked her thesis advisor if she could do a different project. At the time, she was a weightlifter, like snatch and clean and jerk kind of weightlifting. And she asked if she could start a blog just documenting her process. And so part of her process was that she wanted to drop a weight class. And so she documented what she was eating, how much she was eating, when she was doing it, as well as her progress in weightlifting. And she got a shitload stronger while dropping an entire weight class, which at the time in like weightlifting and the CrossFit world was very uncommon. We we tend to think that in order to get stronger, you have to get bigger. Bodybuilders have been doing this for a really long time, but that sort of dieting hadn't, like macro-based dieting hadn't gotten to the weightlifting and functional fitness world yet. And so she got a lot of attention for that. And some people started asking her to coach them on their nutrition. So she started doing that with a few people. And then once that number got over five, she said, okay, I guess I'll start charging you. And I believe that she started charging people via PayPal. And she was just sending them emails. She would send them a spreadsheet to fill out. They would send it back with their, you know, uh, how they did for the week. And then they would communicate via email and she would get compensated via PayPal. Her coach at the time was named uh, a guy named Travis Mash, who was one of the all-time best weightlifters and powerlifters. And he saw what she was doing and the results that she was getting for herself and her clients. And so at some point very early on, he said, why don't you offer this to some of my members? At the time, he had like a a pretty successful uh, online weightlifting community. And he posted it there like, hey, I have this nutritionist that I really recommend, blah, blah, blah. Overnight, she had 70 new clients. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and so this was the beginning. Like, if most people get 70 new clients, I think they get completely overwhelmed, blackout, and probably quit. And Adi is an incredibly hard worker. And she, right then and there, started to create her systems. Um, here she is now. I'm telling your story. So his question was like, what was the or- origin story of WAG? And I told him about the mas- the thesis, pro- the master's project. Mm-hmm. And you started, you started charging people, MASH promoted you, you got yeah. 70 new clients. What happened mm-hmm. after that? Uh, it kind of just took over my life. And yes. I mean, it was really just about how do you offer an amazing service and get people results um, over and over and over again. And it was really just like all I thought about every single day. And then it kind of just grew from there. I think that it was a really good problem to have, to have too much, like so much demand initially that mm-hmm. gave me the opportunity to kind of sit back and be like, okay, I actually can just focus on having an amazing service. Rather than having to focus solely on marketing. Yes. So like yeah. I didn't have to focus, which now I'm, I'm grateful to learn that lesson where if you do a lot of marketing to a service that doesn't get people results, then you're just going to be in this vicious cycle of never going anywhere. Um, so we focused really, really hard on 
getting people results. And then a year later, um, we were bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we're here today. Yeah. At over 21,000 clients served, Olympians, CrossFit Games athletes. It's really cool. Yeah. And I, I love what you said there, that vicious cycle, because I see it all the time where it's like, if you want to serve a huge client load for a lot of people, they have to be on that marketing hamster wheel where it's like marketing and selling and marketing and selling and marketing and selling. And then on the other side, what gets ignored is the client experience. So I'm curious, especially in those early days when you have that huge influx, like what did your process look like for starting to sort out how to love on, you know, 70, 75 people all at once and to onboard 70 people all at once? I think in retrospect, it seems like a blur. Uh, <laughs> like I feel like I can't differentiate the days. It just all, it was like a lot of hours, way yeah. more hours than, um, normal people work, you know, like, uh, I feel like some people think the like entrepreneurial dream, like working for yourself is this like breeze, but it was sometimes like legitimately 12 to 14 hour work days where it's just like, wake up. The first thing I did was get on my computer. The last thing I did was be on my computer and just all day talking, actually just like talking to the people that were signing up and being as close to them as I possibly could be and hearing them and um, getting to know them and making a ton of mistakes. I think like <laughs> when someone tells me that they joined in 2014, it like makes me cringe because I'm just like, oh, I was just flying by the seat of my pants, just trying to figure it out. But I feel like people could feel that I really cared and that I was being human and I was treating them like they're humans. And I genuinely wanted to get people results, not just trying to make a quick dollar. So how do you, like, there's so many people that have a really, really hard time managing 30 people. How are you able to do, like at your max, you were doing 170 and yeah. you and you had such a great, reputation even early on like how are you maintaining that level of care and that feeling of like oh this person really cares about me uh with that many people oh, that's a hard question um i was so pumped up about it like i was so fired up and super passionate about it it wasn't it didn't feel like work at the time it was like i am so excited and i it, it didn't matter. It honestly did not matter at the time. I think I was also at like a really unique time in my life. Like I had just graduated from school and I wasn't yet on a career path. I had limited responsibilities. So I was just like, it didn't matter about how much money I made. I was just so fired up about being able to help people. And as soon as I just helped one person, I was so excited about it. Um, it, it was totally, I was, I wasn't, dreading it taking over all my time in a day. Um, I didn't have a baby yet. So it was a <laughs> bit uh, a, of a different situation then mm -hmm. for sure. There's this guy, uh, Naval Ravikant that says, um, you want to, in your career, you want to find the thing that to you feels like play and other to other people feels like the hardest work ever. Sure. And mm -hmm. especially in the beginning, it sounds like that just felt like complete play and adventure. It was so fun. Too. Every day was like a new problem to solve. Oh, okay, we have so many people. How do I get all of their information? Do I, what kind of questionnaire do I need to create for them? How are we tracking their information? How am I going to make... I, I remember creating like a notes on my iPhone of how do I remember to charge them 
when their subscription is up. And it was just like their name with a date that I checked every like three weeks. I think I just was like, oh, you're due. And then I, I hoped that they would pay it. <laughs> Amazing. So for you, when did you, did you have any time set aside to consciously construct systems that would make it easier for you? Because as you mentioned, you were at like 200 something clients at your peak when it was just you. I naturally did just start doing that out the gate. Like for yeah. example, all of our clients would go into one email. It was working against gravity at gmail.com. And, uh, it would be like, I had a couple people helping me at the time and it would be whoever could get to the email would just do it. And then I realized that didn't really make sense because we weren't developing a relationship. And it was like mm. the problem at hand was we weren't developing a relationship with the client and being able to make it more one-on-one. -on -one. So from there, um, I went and created a different email for each person. So each person had their, each coach had their own email. We would filter the clients to each, or we'd made folders, actually a folder in the same email. I think it was really just like one step at a time. We had a problem. We solved that problem. And this is something I say all of the time is don't solve problems that you don't have. Um, we were so busy that we didn't have time to look far enough ahead to be trying to solve. What do we do when we get 200 clients? It like didn't matter. It was like, these are the clients we have. We need to figure out how to give them results. Let's focus on these people instead of figuring, trying to solve a problem. We don't have 200 clients, so it doesn't matter. Um, so we weren't mm. trying to solve those problems. Um, I think that really helped, like just being focused on each problem as it was coming up. And then I also think uh, uh, like around six months in, I went to a mastermind that just like was my first time taking time away from working in that six months. It was blood so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually met Michael at this mastermind. So I got a husband. And I, would, I would say you 100 x your yeah. investment. <laughs> I definitely 100 x <laughs> at least. Um, yeah. And so I went to this mastermind and uh, it was the first time that I got the opportunity to take a step out of the business and look on it. Mm. Um, and I think that was the first first time where I was like, whoa, like I can make things more, we're doing really well, but I see so much opportunity for growth and all these people are doing things that I wanted to do too. And would knew, I knew would make us more efficient. Yeah. That's awesome. So at what point in time did you start bringing on some of the other coaches to help with that client load? I brought right, like almost immediately. Yeah. Like right away, just as soon as we had 70 people, I'm like, ah, I can't do this by myself. So who can help me? And just from there, it was like once it was a lot of it was by feel. Once we were feeling yeah. like we were overwhelmed, then it was we at the beginning, I'll be honest, we hired a lot out of desperation. Like we are mm. desperate and we need somebody to help. That's what it felt. And so we just hired people when we would get desperate enough. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's the truth. I, I feel you. I went through the same thing when we hit this big influx of clients I hired out of desperation. And it's interesting because for me, that hiring out of desperation, some people worked out really well. Some people ended up coaching with me for like four or five years and were amazing. But then a few of them ended up coming in and using it for nefarious purposes, like pushing MLM products on the clients that I sent them oh, no. and trying to make a side income. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I had to really take a look at Yeah. yeah contracts and things like that. But wow. So what did you do to find 
those people that you were bringing in? I know it was a bit out of desperation, but how did you find coaches to hire and people that you felt you could trust? Yeah, basically, like every one of our coaches has been a client before. So they've either said in, you know, in building the relationship with their coach, they've said, man, I've had such a great transformation. I want to do this myself. How can I do it? And so some of them have earned jobs that way. And then now it's actually a requirement that people um, have been a client first, then go through our certification even to earn the right to become a coach. So it, yeah. was, it, was, it was always former clients and even some friends. Yeah. there was. Sometimes we'd have a client that, you know, you get to know people on a pretty intimate level when you're working one-on-one, especially with nutrition. It's very vulnerable. It's really emotional. And sometimes you would meet a client where you're like, our current director of training, she was um, like did management for architecture at the University of Miami. And I'm like, that's a badass job. She was telling me like the she was managing these like multi, multi-million dollar building projects. Like that probably requires a lot of like a lot of know-how and a lot of work and a lot of discipline. And then she was just mentioning that she was unhappy there. And I was just like, Hey, do you want to help over here? You know, like just, I think I've always kind of paid attention to those types of things, like paid attention to people's conversations or, um, be open to attracting the right people and not just being closed off. Like I don't need it. I'll be able to find somebody. I'm personally a better attractor than I am a picker. Um, Mm -hmm. if I go out and try and find somebody, um, I've generally made mistakes that way, but knowing yourself is probably a good thing. Like, uh, I trust him to pick better than me. Um, Mm. so like, and I don't know that would, I don't know if you think you're all probably also a good attractor as well, but I'm definitely not a good picker. So he (laughs) wouldn't trust me to pick somebody. (laughs) Yeah. I like that distinction. And it's cool to hear too, that it's almost like you had your ear out for like, Oh wow, this person's an A player. And as soon as they were like, Oh, I'm unhappy playing the A game on the field that I'm playing it in. It's just like, oh, we can we can make you happy and you can bring your A player skills here. That's one of the biggest things I've realized in hiring at this point is just hire A players. Hire the people who, you know, they've got a skill set. And there's also this concept of like always having a keeping your bench full. Like just mm. keeping an eye out for A players and people that take initiative or whatever values really matter to you and your business. And always just having them in the back of your mind saying when X, Y, or Z position opens up or really when any position opens up, I know these five people are good choices to go to. So always kind of keeping your eye out for that kind of thing can can really help. Yeah, no doubt. Because the thing is like, with A players in particular, they're probably already in a position. They're probably not sitting on the bench themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we really, uh, we don't um, necessarily care if someone has like specific knowledge for the position that we're hiring for. We are more so looking for a certain kind of person. So yeah. a person who takes initiative, a person who takes responsibility and ownership and accountability for the work that they do. Very um, high integrity. High integrity people, yeah. kind, compassionate. If you're funny, you get extra points. <laughs> um, uh, but not necessary. Not many people are funny at our work, but we love the people mm-hmm. that are. Um, and yeah, we're we think the other stuff is like 
learnable or teachable or educatable, what if any of those are words, um, uh, versus it's hard to like teach someone to have high integrity. I mean, you can, it just takes more time and we're not willing to do that type of teaching. Yeah. Makes sense. And I mean, the thing is you can teach those things easily through solid standard operating procedures within the business. It's so easy to teach a technical skill, but yeah, Mm -hmm. like you said, those, especially the character level traits, that's the thing that I don't don't even think you can teach it really. I think somebody has to be just willing and open to having those realizations themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious now that you're at 21,000 clients served, like some of the people were asking, how do you love on that many clients? Like, how have you managed to, with such a high number of people that you've served, how have you managed to maintain that one-to-one feel, those remarkable experiences that, that real, like, Hey, this is my coach who developed a relationship with me. I can talk about this a little bit. So I think it starts with the hiring process. So a really essential piece is that they have every one of our coach coaches has been coached by someone that's already behaving and coaching the way that we want to coach. Yeah. And all of our coaches still have coaches of their own. So they're very teachable. Um, Then they go through our coach certification, which is very hands-on practical under the direct care of one of our top coaches. Then they Every coach has a uh, coach support. So the way that our organizational structure works on the coaching side is we have our head of training. Her name is Yvette. Then she has three coach supports under her that report to her directly. And then under each one of those are like five to eight coaches. And so they've, you know, the coaches go through this training. They become a sub first when one of our coaches is uh, sick or on vacation, and then they get feedback on how they do. So they're getting a lot of direct training and oversight. Then they start coaching and then their coach support will periodically, I think bi-weekly or monthly, they will go into some of their check-ins and they'll pull them out and they'll give them direct feedback in an email or in a meeting. Um, so other things that we do for quality control or like supporting the development of our coaches are they do weekly or bi-weekly meetings with their, with their coach support in, in groups and they go over difficult client scenarios and how to best overcome them. And they kind of collaborate on the best way to do that. Also in our, in our software, one of the things that I think has really set us apart from the beginning is our 24 hour response time. It never takes longer, almost never takes longer to get a response from your coach at WAG. And that real in an online community or service that really gives the feeling of like a human to human connection. It doesn't take a full week to hear back. And our coach supports and our head of training can see if one of their coaches has taken longer than 24 hours, and then they can figure out what the issue is. Is it something mm-hmm. in their life? Are they overwhelmed? And then they, you know, we can really oversee these people and make sure that we're doing everything possible to maintain the level of quality across every single one of our coaches. Wow. And I, what Michael's talking about is more of like a logistics, like how do we logistically manage the quality and how are we monitoring? I think from what he's, what he didn't touch on is 
kind of like a company culture piece where mm. we treat we 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 do our absolute best to treat our staff the way that we hope that they're treat, treating the clients. Like we mm. make it really high priority for them to be able to take care of themselves. We want them to, we want to know if they're feeling overwhelmed. We want to do whatever we can to make sure that like we change things so that people avoid burnout. We want to give them opportunities to grow. We give them space and opportunities to speak their feelings freely. We give them opportunities to call us out when we're wrong. We apologize when we make mistakes. Like we're, we're doing those types of things and having those types of conversations, like vulnerable conversations as a team. And I think that like um, automatically will translate to how I hope that that automatically translates to how they treat our clients. Um, I think that that really um, is just how this that's what our, part of our culture um, of how we treat each other internally. Um, and it's not different than how we would treat our clients. Like I definitely think our staff are equally, if not like you know, they're equally as important as the clients. Like it's just really important that they're happy and healthy and doing um, well as individuals. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, they are the ones that are actually serving the clients. At this point, a D and I are not working with people ourselves that she's working with a handful of, um, of her own clients. But for the most part, our coaches are the one ones doing the actual service. And so our job is just to nurture their development and their happiness. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love being able to hear both from Michael that structure to me, but hearing that organizational structure, I'm like, that is amazing. That is genius. The idea around having the coaching support and then the coaches who have somebody who can be there to support them, to train them. They have that regular check-in to get feedback. And so quality is always increasing. But then also to hear from you, Adi, how it's like, there's that almost unspoken, it's that company culture. It's just the golden rule in place across the whole organization, really. Oh, I love it. So another question that some people were wondering was, and I know Adi, you said early on, it was like having that partnership with Travis Mash led to that huge influx of clients. So you didn't have to really market yourself at the outset and you could focus just on that amazing client experience, getting the structure in place to serve those people and love on them on a high level. Um, but then when it came time for growth and all of a sudden after, let's say the barbell shrug mastermind, you were able to, to look at it. What were the things that you then did to go, okay, well, here's our growth strategy. What were the things that worked in terms of attracting people in? And what were the things that maybe you tried that didn't? All right, coaches, that's it for today's episode. If you'd like to hear the rest of this training, you can head directly to the online nutrition coach community or go to beyondmacros.com slash community to get access plus a free training to help you scale your online coaching business working just 30 hours per week or less. And if you'd love to learn about Working Against Gravity's Art of Coaching video series, you can head to beyondmacros.com slash AOC. That's beyondmacros.com and then the letters AOC. All right, see you there. Until next time, much love, legends.